How should the blueberry industry best compete for innovation and investment in ag tech? What we found when we started with the Smart Orchard Project is as there was more press and more interest is it's always really a honeypot where we see collaborators and that goes across researchers, it goes across ag tech, and that's inclusive of other data providers, whether it's drone or whether it's some sort of sensor or they have some sort of robotic sprayer, as an example, that could be collecting data while it's doing its primary task and us tying it all in together. Today, we hear from Steve Mantle of Innovate Ag about how he's applying the success of the Smart Orchard Project to blueberries. This copyrighted podcast is presented by the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. The opinions and views shared by those of non-paid guests on the business of blueberries are those of our guests and do not represent the views, positions, or policies of the USHBC. The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Welcome back to another episode of The Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. Now, this is episode 100. It's crazy to think that about this milestone and that the role this show has played throughout the pandemic and now beyond. And I won't dwell too much on it in this episode, but I just want to say thanks to each and every one of you who listen and contribute to this great podcast, The Business of Blueberries. So today's episode is all about the Berry Smart Field Project. You may or may not have heard of this initiative but it's a collaborative experience between growers, researchers, tech providers to help optimize blueberry farming in our operations. It's something that the tech committee is proud of. Paul McCree, who chaired our meeting in Tampa, uh, really excited about this project for all of the committee and certainly the industry. And to make this happen, USHBC is partnering with Innovate Ag and working in collaboration with our friends at the Washington Blueberry Commission to validate a smart farm network that enables growers, packers, and stakeholders to collaborate on farm operations, optimization with better and more predictable yield outcomes. You've heard from Innovate Ag back in episode 44, in fact, where founder Steve Mandel shared the Smart Orchard Project. He's back on today's episode to talk about how he's bringing that concept to blueberries with the Berry Smart Field Project. Steve, welcome back to the business of blueberries. Casey, it's great to be back again with the blueberries. Well, it's great to have you here. Look forward to digging in here. But also joining us is USHBC NABC Vice President of Engagement and Education, Amanda Griffin. Amanda, welcome back to your second appearance on the Business of Blueberries. Well, thanks, Casey. It's great to be here again. Yeah, Amanda's been leading the Berry Smart program from the USHBC side of things, kind of liaison with the tech committee and working closely with Steve and Paul. So it's great to get you both back on this podcast to talk about how we've kind of moved things forward since the last time we spoke, Steve, and certainly now with Amanda here. It's great to have you back. And you've had a little bit more experience uh, with us having been to Tampa, met a lot of folks, and then now you know, kind of finding your way through the fields and even the muddy fields in the blueberry business, how you see what you've seen in apples now translating into blueberries. So I thought we'd just start there. Definitely, I would say the commonalities come down to growers are looking for what the crop outcome is going to be. What does every grower toss and turn about? It's 
what's that yield going to look like? And then we certainly see commonalities as to what's happening below ground. How is that soil, whether it be that soil interacting with nutrients, soil interacting with water, how does all that need to to work together? Where are there deficiencies that can be made up with the end game to have a better outcome? Apples, they're going off to cold storage. So it's largely a mapping out crop load and what is that going to turn into downstream logistics wise in terms of trucks, cold storage, and then downstream ripple effect as it comes out of cold storage, gets processed, and then lands out in the grocery store. Blueberries, on the other hand, much of what you do is fresh, which is where the value is, right? And so still some of the same pieces around what's going to be ready when and benchmarking what does that crop load variability look like across a block and what are some of the influencers on that crop load variability. So that's common across both. I'd say the other common piece across both is labor. So I think on the blueberry side, you're somewhere in the 60% zone or so in terms of your operational cost being labor. There's just not enough labor. Certainly in Washington state, we've got overtime laws that keep cranking down in terms of when mandatory overtime kicks in. And it's about getting labor to the right place, the right time. Do we do with two passes, three passes, four passes, when do we bring in the machines, juice, and so on and so forth as well. And so having an eye towards what that labor optimization looks like, while also benchmarking with that variability, what are other inputs that can be optimized, whether that be water, whether that be chem slash nutrients. Great, Steve. I think this is a great moment to talk a little bit about actually specifics for the blueberry, that very smart field project. So let's talk overall scope real quick and then dive into what exactly you're doing at the moment with the project and where it stands today. So the Berry Smart Field Project, which Casey led us into, uh, will bring together suppliers and solution providers to the blueberry ecosystem you know, with that intent to improve blueberry production and quality. So, Steve, all the things you're talking about with apples here are only specific to the blueberry side of things. So, essentially, big picture is on this field, we get to test out really cool technologies that are going to hopefully move to advance that blueberry industry. Steve, with that being said, where are we today? What are we doing at the moment? Well, we started out with one farm, and we quickly found, boy, If we did two farms, we'd be able to compare against each other, right, in two different environments. And so we started with Eastern Washington, then moved to Western Washington. Now, the theme here is towns that start with a B. So in Burbank, Washington, we have Shirley Mason, who runs Applegate Orchards and Blue Mountain Farms. Out in Western Washington, on the other side of the Cascades, in Burlington, Washington, We have Brian Sakuma and his blueberry manager, Spencer Pfizer. And we're really excited to work with both sets of growers that have some share and some unique challenges. Our focus is establishing really priorities on initial technology to put in. And with the aim to templatize something that's repeatable into a validated smart farm network. 
that enables you as growers and packers and sales, the technology community, as well as researchers to collaborate on how do we best optimize farm operations with better and more predictable yield outcomes. So then getting even more specific, what do we see success at the end of the year? Well, we need to have a data set that enables year-over-year comparison. What's our benchmark? And that largely is around crop load and crop variability, as well as soil variability. Getting to the end of the year and having year-end report on the progress and learnings. And then what is the refined approach and priorities for 2023 that resonate for you as the grower community and the ecosystem? Well, this is going to be a very grower-driven conversation with uh, what already has been, you know, you on the ground there in Eastern Washington, Western Washington, meeting with growers, talking about some of the specific needs they have. But I know this was born out of a strategic plan for our organization that really had USHBC looking for a process, a kind of a project in which we could try to achieve some of these expectations from our growers to kind of advance their production which then translates from production to promotions and those promotions being really important for our, our growers to be profitable. So I want to talk about more of that and where we're going with this project and how that all translates for blueberries. But before we do, let's take a quick break for our crop report. The North American season is well underway. And as we get further into the summer period, we're going to be welcoming more and more regions onto this report. So here, once again, is your blueberry crop report. Yes, it's time for your Blueberry Crop Report, an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry growing areas. Today you'll hear from Elizabeth Carranza in California, Brandon Wade in Georgia, Neil Moore in North Carolina, Mario Ramirez in Mexico, and Ken Patterson in Florida. This was recorded on May 25th, 2022. Hi, good morning, everybody. This is Elizabeth Carranza with the California Blueberry Commission. At this point, our season is in the midst of peak harvest. We expect the peak to remain sort of in a plateau for the next couple of weeks before dropping off and then you know, going down from there. At this point, I mentioned last week that there had been some scattered hail and, and freeze damage uh, throughout the California blueberry industry. And as of last week, our industry has voted to reduce our projection officially to 55 million pounds fresh. It was initially 65 million pounds fresh this season. Um, we're not quite sure what the process numbers are gonna look like yet, but that is strictly for fresh. Despite this, we are seeing some high quality fruit come out of California, especially in the organic side of things. Um, We think this is just due to the ideal weather conditions we've been having lately. Um, We've also been seeing some good sized fruit as well. Um, We do anticipate that the upcoming heat here in the Central Valley may cause some of that volume to come off a little bit faster than normal. So we will have to wait and see what our numbers look like as we continue to battle the heat conditions here in California. Well, this is Brandon Wade out of Alma, Georgia. Harvest is progressing well into legacy. We are in a second pick and quality seems to be holding fairly well. End of this week, we should begin to get into some first picks of rabbit eyes. And the quality there uh, looks to be okay as well, although it has been a bit challenged by the two rain events that we had over the past two days. We had about a half an inch per event with some reports coming out of uh, the Douglas, Georgia area of hail. So there's still some complicated factors coming in, but things seem to look well. 
the undetermined question is still what's the yield going to look like on the rabbit eyes? What's the volume like? I don't have any good answers to that. I think we'll know better as we get this first pick off the end of the week. So next week, we'll look toward having a better estimate of what the volumes out of Georgia will actually look like. We seem to have good weather after we get past this Friday. We're looking at another storm event. But after we get past that, it should be fairly smooth sailing. I think that's the report for Georgia this week. Hello, everyone. This is Neil Moore reporting the crop report from North Carolina. And in North Carolina, our harvest continues on early varieties, O'Neill and Rebel. Our star variety is almost finished for the season due to reduced yields from the March freeze, which continues to impact crop size here in North Carolina. Legacy Duke and other mid-season varieties will start harvest by Monday. Fruit seems to be ripening a little faster than most years due to the crop load on bushes. Duke has a full crop, but is not as widely planted as Legacy. Legacy continues to be the dominant variety in North Carolina and has a reduced crop this year. Our weather has been dry in the Ivanhoe area and adequate rainfall fell this past week in the White Lake area. Near normal record heat, last week has subsided to normal temps. This week, dry conditions have made fruit quality excellent and everything is moving to the fresh market now. Crop size looks shorter now since we have begun our harvest. Estimates now are 22 million pounds for the fresh market and 5 million pounds for the process market, 27 million total. Hi everyone, here Mario with the Mexican Blueberries Report for 20 week uh, from May 16 to May 22. This week we decreased at 30% respect to my last report a few weeks ago. Our total world exportation was 5 million and 500,000 pounds to all the world. And from that volume, 5 million goes to North American market. Organic volume keeps great with the same volume, that is 770,000 pounds exported to all the world. And for the full season, we keep with the, with the greatest volumes from last year's, and it is 154 millions and 400,000 pounds. That's all in my report. Thank you, everyone. See you next week. This is Ken Patterson, Florida blueberry grower, and chairman of the North American Blueberry Council with the final crop report for 2022 out of Florida. So Florida is about 99% finished at this point. There's just a little bit of scrapping being done and that will be over by the end of this week. As of May 9th, the USDA is reporting 24.98 million pounds have been shipped so far out of the state. And before I sign off for the year, I would like to thank the other participants on this and future podcasts for their time and effort to collect and share the data that all of you people out there in the podcast world hear every week. And I would also like to thank the listeners for making our Blueberry podcast so successful. We couldn't do it without you. Keep tuning in. And that completes my Florida report for this week and this year. Well, thanks so much to our busy growers and colleagues who take time to participate in these reports. As a reminder, you can go to the new USHBC website where you'll find our data and insight center to see more data of what's happening in the blueberry industry 
we have added a lot more features to this dashboard, including USDA price shipping movement and retail category performance, along with Nielsen monthly retail sales reports and much, much more. So make sure you go check that out at ushbc.org forward slash data to check that out. Well, let's go back to our featured conversation with Steve and Amanda. Steve, before the break, you mentioned getting started with farmers. And when you say we start with the farm, what does that look like from a practical level from your perspective? Well, first, it's sitting down with the grower and understanding what their challenges are, how they think tech could help fill in some of the the challenges that they're facing, and how can that be presented in a way that's relevant and contextual for the grower as opposed to yet one more app to look at. So that's that's job one, and really excited to share just some of the perspectives we're starting to hear from Shirley. Uh, and the Sakumas as to where there's some low-hanging fruit that can inform even optimizing labor challenges. And I guess when when we talk about the side-by-side you have, and we're talking about the tech that's going in the ground, there's really kind of, as I see it, two components to this project that are, are mission critical. One, you've got, you know, how do growers use tech to optimize their production? But there's also a piece that you're talking about in terms of crop load, but it is about very specifically, our growers wanting to know, is it possible for technology to help us predict yield? And so there's, there's two things that you know, you've been charged with, I think, in this uh, very smart project is, you know, how can we better optimize the total tech picture that exists out there at a level, help organize that for our industry? And then the, the other part of this is very specific to kind of predicting yields and then being able to give those yield predictions to marketers, et cetera, retailers up down the chain so that there's a better idea of what's actually happening. And so maybe you can talk about, you know, what you see there as both the opportunity and challenge as it relates to blueberries as you start this project. Yeah. So first on optimizing tech, sensors are fairly key in here. And every grower has a different set of sensors that they've already deployed. At the very least a weather station. What I found in some of these projects is those may not necessarily be connected. They may not actually be working, but that's really key. And then growers generally, a key focus for them on on tech is understanding where their microclimates, where's their hot versus cold that helps inform frost management, for instance, and mitigation. And where is their high and low points, if you will, when it comes to soil texture that informs, do they have soil moisture sensors in the right place? Is it truly representative of the field, which then informs getting the right amount of irrigation to the right place at the right time? So I'd say that's the basic, really baseline before we start getting into fancier things like microtensiometers and sap flow sensors that are measuring how fast things are moving through the plant. It's just getting down to the basics, which is water and light and weather. So that's that's job one. On predicting yields, we found that there's some technology out there that can help on showing the yield variability. There's no question that there are more and more companies going to jump into the fray over the coming years that can show yield variability. So the time to start 
benchmarking what that looks like and helping that ecosystem of folks that are jumping into this opportunity understand what the growers needs are and when does it make most sense to count this to me is actually one of the biggest questions so we got in there already and we've mapped at bloom and things are nice and clean up and down the rows getting a narrow honda side by side up and down the rows to take those those photos and do computer vision analysis to count what that looks like the challenge starts to become as everything's fruit sets in and everything starts leaning in and frankly that's going to be a, a bigger journey this year and beyond as to well what equipment can actually get in there and do that without harvesting the blueberries prematurely what i think this project really provides the industry it's almost like open source ag tech conversations right it's like we've created the berry smart field through innovate to be this collaboration of tech companies that you're helping us kind of orchestrate or organize you know with the best possible opportunities that we think might exist out there for trying to advance things. So if I've got that characterization right, it's the farms who are dedicating space to you and us in this project, they're, they're really creating it as an open source opportunity for us to try some stuff. And, you know, again, this is going to be whether or not you can get a side-by-side down the, the row in order to try that tech to help us develop some of these, uh, whether it's yield prediction tools or it's going to be, you know, just mapping out the field during the process of the season, the production cycle. So maybe you could talk a little bit about you know that characterization, if I've got it right, that that's kind of how you see uh, yourself as the tech wrangler. Tech wrangler, it is. Yes, Casey. What we found when we started with the Smart Orchard Projects is as there was more press and more interest is it's always really a honeypot where we see collaborators and that goes across researchers. It goes across ag tech, and that's inclusive of other data providers. It may include sensors. It could include innovators or researchers that are doing projects where they're using an iPhone to walk up and down rows, or they have some sort of robotic sprayer, as an example, that could be collecting data while it's doing its primary task and us tying it all in together. And so What's clear is data is potentially an additional crop for growers. It's a secondary crop, albeit, that can help inform your year over year. And many of you, Shirley's a great example with Applegate and Blue Mountain Farms, where we sat down with her and she had folders and folders and folders and spreadsheets that went along with that of block level data as to what was the yield. How many passes did they take through each block? But now being able to kind of quantify, well, what's the variability within each of those blocks? And what are different types of technology that some of us haven't even imagined or heard of? How can that come together to help solve for things? Drone imagery would be another one, satellite imagery. They're often not at the resolution that you would expect, but the more we can encourage others that have been working on emerging technologies, to help predict crop load, to help predict a better outcome, the better off we all are. Yeah. So, Steve, I, you know, I know this is basically a USHBC venture that people are going to be thinking about in context of their experience of seeing like universities who have 
you know, we were down in Oregon State looking at their research facilities and their blueberry research field. So, you know, th- this is us working with private companies through you to do these projects, but it, it's not in absence of university researchers, correct? That's absolutely right. I'm excited to have Lisa DeVetter at WSU as a, a leading researcher wanting to engage with us on this project. Scott Lucas at Oregon State wanting to engage on this project as well. And what we saw with the Smart Orchard projects is we ended up having more and more university research projects overlap into the Smart Orchards where they can contribute to each other, but also leverage, let's call it parallel data sets that they may not have otherwise collected to help them provide context and and bring things together. Well, I'm encouraged by that because, you know, I know we have a lot of a lot of land grant universities who are very involved with, you know, the public breeding programs. But, you know, Lisa, I'm familiar with the work she does and, and the way in which this will just be a good intersection of all that collaboration. And again, you know, part of what we're you know, hopefully sharing for our industry to understand about the Berry Smart Project is what a focal point it puts on time and resource. And so, you know, we really do want, I think, the evolution of this program, Steve, to move beyond Washington. Again, to your point, like there's a lot of production regions all across the country that we could have had this project launch in, but maybe we could talk just specifically why Washington from your perspective. Why Washington? First, you have the Cascades as a mountain range that divides the state. And so you have two very different environments on each side of the state, one that's more sandy and desert-like, if you will, lots more sun. And then there's Western Washington that has a lot more rain, doesn't have to do as much in terms of irrigation. And so you've got diversity of two sets of environments. Second was with the Smart Orchard projects that we worked on historically, we already had a nice working intersect in with Washington State University. And so there was interest in collaborating there. And so it was, look, we can crawl, walk, run and get this going a little bit faster because of the work that we'd already done with the Washington Tree Fruit Research Commission and uh, both WSU and OSU. And then finally, it's in our backyard. So it's a lot easier for us to hit these while we're going to and from our Apple projects that we're doing throughout the growing season. Well, let's take a break right here for our marketing boost. We'll be right back to this conversation in a moment. But for now, here's USHBC NABC Vice President of Marketing and Communications, Jennifer Sparks. Thanks, Casey. National Blueberry Month is coming up, and we have an exciting opportunity for growers to help tell the industry's story through a submission of a short video by June 10th. To kick off National Blueberry Month in July and generate news coverage about our 31-day social media challenge to consumers... USHBC is hosting an event for media in late June. It will be an immersive experience for the top-tier media to learn about the many benefits of blueberries. The event will also include an in-person appearance by USHBC chairperson Shelley Hartman in a Meet the Grower installation. At that installation, we also want to feature videos from you, our blueberry growers. This will provide us with valuable content to use at the event as well as on our website and in future social media posts throughout July and beyond. We'd love for you to share a short video talking about what you love. The videos are for the consumer audience, so pretend you're having a conversation with a neighbor or stranger. 
Briefly introduce yourself with your name, company, and location. And then simply answer one of the following questions. What is a fun fact about blueberries that many don't know? What is your favorite way to enjoy blueberries? What is your secret flavor or ingredient for pairing with blueberries? What is your favorite memory of blueberries? Or what do you appreciate most about being a blueberry grower? It takes three easy steps to capture the best video. Number one, ask someone you work with to film it on your phone. Film it in the ideal environment to help tell your story, such as out in the field or a notable location in your facility. Number two, keep it short. Your video should not exceed 20 seconds and be mindful of any background noise in your surrounding area and make sure your face is well lit. Number three, upload your video to ushbc.org video. Please submit your video no later than June 10th and we'll take it from there. ushbc.org video. Thanks in advance for helping us tell your story. Stay tuned to USHBC's Behind the Blue weekly newsletter for more National Blueberry Month news. It's going to be great. This has been your marketing boost. Thank you for your partnership as together we inspire the world to grab a boost to blue. Casey, back to you. Thanks, Jenny. Now back to today's episode with Amanda Griffin and Steve Mantle. So I know we talked a little bit about why Washington, but you know it takes partnerships with growers specifically to make this happen. And we've chosen a couple growers in Washington, Western Washington and Eastern Washington. So maybe you could just talk a little bit about why we selected working with these growers. Absolutely. On Western Washington, the Sakuma Brothers, Brian had his focus on Dukes and Liberties initially. He has raised beds, actually, and a little wider rows, 11-foot rows, and everything is conventional. So on the western side of the mountains, Brian Sakuma with Sakuma Brothers out in Burlington has Duke and Liberty that we focused on initially. Now his beds are raised, and they're all conventional. On the other side of the mountains, Shirley with Orchard Gate is focused on early blue, dukes, and last call. Now, everything that she has is organic and in-ground. So, an interesting contrast between the raised bed and our in-ground and conventional and organic. Yeah. You know, the, the diversity of those growing regions is going to play a big part in, I think, the other regions' understanding of how this applies to them. And, and I think that's going to be great. But if there's a grower listening today who's hearing this, you know, what would you want to say to them in terms of kind of appreciating the work that's going to go on here that, that will eventually impact them? I mean, you know, I think there could be some suspicion or skepticism in what, what the heck tech represents. But I think you've had some good experience in seeing how it's transformed other industries. So maybe you can just kind of give your stump speech, so to speak, to what you would say to a grower who is questioning whether or not this is something that would really impact them in the future? Well, first, I would say skepticism is healthy. And if I was talking to a grower that wasn't skeptical, something's wrong. So you you should be skeptical. Second, I would say I would ask you to bring the challenges that you've tossed and turned about and it may not be primary for you but on the periphery and what we've found 
in talking with growers, particularly on the orchard side. And it's so much fun, actually, when we start providing growers with data. And particularly when they bring in their farm managers and their leads, say, for irrigation or nutrient application, and you start talking about, hey, here's how this data is relatable. And we present that in a way that they can consume. And some of these folks may not even have a high school education, but they take a step back and and then we'll get a call, say, the next day and say, hey, or a text. Could this be used to quantify what the effectiveness is of frost fans? Now, I never would have thought of that. But if we basically can now show where frost fans are throughout a block and show what the yield variability is around those frost fans, we can now start to help a grower understand, well, do I have a spot where I need to put in another frost fan? Did I forget to turn it on? Should I think about it differently? So think about how data might be able to help you solve for challenges in ways that you've never really been able to put your finger on. You've had this gut, but don't really know how to follow through. And then let us know. I'm sure Casey will share a best way to to reach out and say, hey, why don't you do this? Why don't you think about that? The other piece would be all of us have different people knocking on the door saying, hey, we've got this latest, greatest, whether it's drone or whether it's some sort of sensor, we'd love to hear about it. And I think in 2022, it's about getting the outpouring of that and starting a stack rank. Great. How do we queue that up to bring that into the ecosystem in 2023 and set that up for success as well? So we definitely want any suggestions that you have there as well. Great. Well, before we get into the contact information, Steve, is there anything else that you'd like to share before we uh, uh, end the podcast today? I think, again, building on growers thinking about how could we quantify something. A great example that was brought to me with Spencer and the Sakuma brothers up in Western Washington was, hey, you're taking photos of what's on the bushes. Could you take photos of the blueberries that are on the ground? And I thought, on the ground? What do you? And then he said, no, no, no. We go and we take a measurement anyway of about one square foot in each row to help measure the efficacy of what a what employees are are doing and how much is actually dropping onto the ground, or even the efficacy of a machine. And so point those cameras a little bit more down onto the ground as well as an example and quantify what that looks like. And so, again, I think bring examples to us where what if there's no bad idea. I think bringing that and then sharing these out through through podcasts and, and getting the word out um, to the broader ag ecosystem, ag tech ecosystem, that's really the name of the game. Well, that was a fantastic discussion. I am really excited about the Berry Smart project, Amanda, and I'm really grateful that you're going to be a part of the team that helps usher in this new project to the entire industry as part of our engagement and education. But I just thought I'd turn it over to you in terms of takeaways today from the conversation. Your thoughts? Yeah, thanks, Casey. Again, it's great to be here. And it's always great to hear from Steve, as I feel like I learned something new each time we have a discussion. 
You know, this project is in its infant phase here, so it's exciting to hear Steve talk about where it's going to go in the future. My big takeaway is we need to keep hearing from the industry and keep hearing what folks are looking for out of this project so that we can make sure to stay relevant and also think outside of the box of what we may not be having fresh of mind at the moment for this project. So again, I think feedback is going to be key. So as Steve said, reach out to us. And I know we've got all of our contact information within the podcast, but reach out so that we can actually uh, hear from you and hear to help direct the future of the project. Amen. Well, and I know, I'm sure Paul's listening, but I mean, he he's going to be one of those growers that feels like this is one of the most relevant things that USHBC could be doing, you know, not just for his farm, but for a lot of our growers who, who are counting on an organization somewhere to do something that has the benefit of helping uh, bring technology to our industry and create the innovation that, you know, otherwise can, um, you know, get lost in the busyness of every year. And I think in our case, you know, what this does for USHBC specifically is it puts a focal point on where we put that tech. You know, we're working through what Steve and his team will be doing with the growers who are participating in this, what will become a network of production farms that are helping us uh, identify this new technology and make the most of it. So it's just a really exciting next step for our organization, as much as it is, I think, really going to be beneficial to the growers who are, are, are looking for leadership in this area. So I'm excited about it. I think this is a great way for our industry to move forward, their attention towards innovation and in agriculture, specifically for blueberries. So very cool. And thank you for being on the podcast again, Amanda, your second time on the show. Congratulations. Thanks for having me. I don't think anything else can top being on the 100th episode. So this might as well be my last one at that point. I know. Can you believe it? No, no. Not, that's not be your last one. You just I'm just kidding. No, it's great to be here. Glad to get that second one underway and to be on your 100th episode. Yeah, well, that's it for episode 100. It really is hard to believe that it's been a 100 consecutive episode. This has been such a great way, I think, for the industry to stay connected, for me to be connected to the industry, especially during a pandemic, and just have a better sense of what's happening out there and be able to share what's happening out there with so many people. So episode 100, really remarkable, a great milestone. So thank you for tuning in and for being a part of all of the exciting things that are happening in our blueberry industry. It really is a great place to be. And that's it. So thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family and hard work right here on the Business of Blueberries. <laughs>